Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We're continuing a series this morning called uh, Unlocking the Parables. Today was supposed to be the last Sunday of this series, but uh, I'm liking it a little too much, so we might do one or two more. Uh, but uh, we are we're talking about this because Jesus said in Matthew 13 that within the parables, they're more than shallow examples. They're revelations of secrets of the kingdom of God, secrets that even have been hidden since the time of creation. And that's what's so fascinating about the parables. So... Now, last week we looked at what I said was the most universally well-known parable, which was the parable of the Good Samaritan. Today we're looking at uh, one of the most well-known parables as well, and it's the longest parable that Jesus teaches. Uh, It's only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. A lot of people's favorite parable is the parable of the prodigal son. And there is there's so much that we can extract from the story of the prodigal son. I mean, parenting lessons, lessons on forgiveness and grace, warnings against bitterness or, or wild living. There's a lot there. But today what we're looking at is the immediate context of this parable. So to Jesus's audience in that moment, what was he saying to them specifically? Now, last week, looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, we started it with the first two words, and we said those were the most important words. It was the words in reply. It's similar this week because when Jesus goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 15:11, he starts this way. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Uh, the parable of the lost son, of the prodigal son, is part of a bigger picture. It's the continuation of a larger story. Actually, it's the third of three parables, all pointing to a similar truth. So that's where we're going to start this morning, is where those three parables began. And that's in Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So if we just stop right there, we should, we should see something at this point that sounds familiar. What we see is a, a common audience... And we see a common controversy that we've been seeing throughout this this whole series. The common audience is the teachers of the law. And the common controversy is Jesus is dining uh, dining with and welcoming sinners. If you remember when we did the parable of the the wineskins, it was the exact same thing. His audience was the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And one of their chief complaints was this man is dining with sinners. He's welcoming sinners. We have the same scenario here. It's the same audience. It's the same complaint. So Jesus is responding to this complaint when he goes into the first parable. In verse 3, it says, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And right from there, Jesus goes into a second parable. He says, Or suppose a woman, this is in verse 8, has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Now, we're going to kind of tuck those away, and we're going to come back to them later, because immediately after that, these kind of mini parables, Jesus goes into, again, his longest recorded parable, And we're going to read the whole thing beginning in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent himself to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house and heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And what I want you to see this morning is right from the start in this parable, Jesus is doing something very strategically Jesus is setting up his audience. Remember, his audience is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He is setting them up to resent this young man. And I'll show you how he does that if we just kind of break down his rap sheet a little bit. First off, the younger son dishonors his father. Uh, Now, the very act of demanding that his father give him his inheritance was, uh, it, it was disrespectful. Today it would be offensive, but in, in their culture, this would have been an, an abomination. This would have been the equivalent of saying, I kind of wish you were dead. My, my life would be better off if you were dead. I would rather have your pose- possessions in my life than have you in my life. This uh, kind of would have been a, a, a shock factor to the audience when they heard this. 
But here's what would have struck a chord with his audience. When the younger brother did this, it wasn't just disrespectful to his father. It was a direct violation of Jewish law. Remember, we have experts in the law here listening to this, and they would have made this connection immediately because uh, you have the Ten Commandments, which says, honor your father and your mother. And then later in Deuteronomy 21, it says sons were not to be stubborn. They were not to be rebellious, and they were not to be disobedient, or it was breaking the law. They would have made this connection immediately. This guy is a lawbreaker. This is the antagonist of the story. I don't like this guy. And then Jesus piles it on. He said, not only was this guy dishonoring and disrespecting his father, but then he got a job feeding the pigs. Why did Jesus choose pigs? Because pigs were detestable to the Jewish people. Pigs were the most vile animals, and more importantly, according to the Jewish law, they were unclean, and anyone who touches anything unclean becomes unclean. If you become unclean, then there's like this, this entire ritual, all these steps that you have to take, these sacrifices and guilt offerings that you have to take to become clean again. And in fact, uh, chapter 7 goes on to say that if you became unclean, you were to be cut off from God's people. Remember his audience again is experts in this law that know this. This guy is a lawbreaker through and through. He's dishonoring his father. He's messing with things that are unclean. In fact, for a living, he feeds that which is unclean. And uh, just for good measure, Jesus adds not only that, but he squandered all of his money on wild living and prostitutes. And many scholars believe Jesus was actually pulling this straight from Scripture because in Proverbs 29, it says uh, in verse 3, a man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father. He's talking about the father here, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. So you can see a reflection of the, the parable here in the book of Proverbs. So uh, after Jesus paints this picture, of the young man who is a sinner and a lawbreaker, Jesus says, eventually he hit rock bottom. And when he hit rock bottom, he came to his senses. And we'll pick up there again in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Pay attention to this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. There is a significant detail in this passage when he says, I want you to make me one of your hired servants. Because in that culture, there were actually three, three levels of servanthood that you could be in a household. The first is you could be a bondsman. A bondsman was a servant of the estate, and they were basically considered family. And under them, you had lower class servants who were subordinates of the bondsman. But then below that, you had what they called a hired servant. This was essentially outside help. It's someone who didn't belong to the family. They didn't belong to the estate. They didn't belong to the bondsman. They didn't belong to anyone. All they were was paid help. And this is what the younger brother wants to come back as. Two things to recognize here is he wanted to work for his father, but expected no relationship from his father. The other thing about a hired servant is if you were in debt, 
This was a position where you could begin to pay back what you owed. What we have to recognize here is he deemed himself unworthy of relationship with his father because of what he had done, because of his past, his mistakes, his failures, his sin. He believed even if I return to the father, things will not be like they used to be. I will no longer have the relationship I used to have because of what I've done, but perhaps I can just work for him and have no relationship. Perhaps I can just work and work and work and begin to pay off the debt that, that, that I've uh, begun to accrue. I, I think one of the characters that, that we often relate to in Scripture is the Apostle Paul, but usually for the wrong, wrong reason. It's because Paul said in, the, in Timothy that he was the chief of sinners. He was the worst among sinners. And I think we all feel that way at times. And when we feel like we are the chief of sinners, that we've done the worst that you can do, when we come to God fully aware of our sinful state, if we do not understand the grace of God, if we don't understand the grace of God and forgiveness of God, then we come just like the little brother. We come back to God, but we say, I don't expect things to be like they used to be. I don't expect the relationship that we used to have, but perhaps you'll just let me begin to work it off. Everything that I've done to hurt you, just let me work it off. I don't want relationship. I'm unworthy to be a son, to be a daughter of God, but let me begin to work off the debt that I've accrued. But then Jesus does something. Jesus reveals to us instead the heart of the father. He says the young man returns to his father, and the moment that the father saw him returning, he ran to meet his son. Now, if we went back to the law in Deuteronomy 21, if a son was found to be stubborn and rebellious and disobedient, and then it adds a drunkard or a glutton, the father actually had the legal right to gather the elders of the city and have his son stoned to death. It's part of the law. And remember Jesus' audience. They are against this young man. They are experts in the law and they know what the law demands. They know what the law says he deserves. But instead, Jesus says, the, the father was filled with compassion and he ran to him and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the language used there means he kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and kissed him and wouldn't stop. And the child who only saw himself worthy of becoming a hired servant is in the arms of his father and the father is lavishing his love on him. In verse 21, it says this, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, if we think about the audience again, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are probably upset with what has just taken place in the story. However, there are others there who are listening to the story. The Bible says they are tax collectors and sinners, and they are probably in tears at this moment. Why? Because they are recognizing the story is about them. They are the younger son. 
The Bible only identifies them as tax collectors and sinners. If you are only identified as a sinner, it means you have a reputation as being a sinner. Yet Jesus, by dining with them, is welcoming them into his presence and saying, I, I-, I embrace you in this moment. And then he tells this story. Where the law says that you are unclean, And the law says you have to be cut off from God's people until you've gone through the rituals and procedures. Jesus says the moment that you turn to him, the father sees you, the father runs to you, the father embraces you. And church, the moment that you turn to God, you're not earning your way back to him. The moment you turn, the Bible says the father sees you, he runs to you, and he embraces you. Says that you are welcomed into a relationship with him. And I love the words they use where they say it was while he was still a long way off is when the father sold him, uh, saw him. It's okay for you to be a long way off. You may be a long way off from having your life cleaned up. Getting your life cleaned up is not a prerequisite to a relationship with God. God is calling you to relationship where you are, mess and all, and then he wants to walk with you to clean your life up. And that, church, is the parable of the lost son, except that it's not over. This seems like it would be the the best place just for the parable to end. They are, it's a time of celebration, but then Jesus continues. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. And what we're beginning to see is actually a picture of who the older brother in the story is. The older brother is also in Jesus's audience as he's telling the story. The older brother is angry. Remember that the father is welcoming the sinners. The older brother is angry that the father has embraced the sinners. And remember at the core of all these parables are the Pharisees and teachers of the law who are angry that Jesus is dining with sinners. The older brother in the story is talking about the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. This becomes even more clear as we continue. In uh, verse 28, it says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. What we see in this moment, I want you to see this. They never disobeyed. This is the attitude of the law. This was their life was about never disobeying. And then I want you to see the connection that they make after this. I never disobeyed, yet you never gave. In other words, my obedience is supposed to earn me something. I have obeyed you and you didn't give me anything. That is the attitude of the law that when I obey, God gives me. I am earning. And the younger son, he sees his obedience as the means to obtaining his father's favor and love and acceptance. And this is actually the real problem with the older son is he didn't understand his father's own heart. 
He thought his father was a slave driver who wanted obedience when actually the father wanted a relationship and the father was full of grace. Oh, church, God desires obedience. God desires obedience, but God's love for you isn't contingent on your obedience. He doesn't love you because of your obedience. We are obedient because we love him and because he loves us. It says this in verse 30, but when the son, this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is, is found. And that's the end of the story. And it almost feels unfinished because we don't know what happens to, to the older brother. Does he come back into the house? Does he stay out of the house? I think Jesus left it unfinished on purpose because it was happening in real time. He was leaving the, up to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Are you going to come into the house? Are you going to stay out of the house? You're finishing the story based on your response to the story. When we step back and we look at this story as a whole, what we discover is it's not a parable of the lost son. It's a parable of the lost sons. Uh, we have the, the younger who doesn't think he deserves grace. We have the older who doesn't think he needs grace. We have the younger, uh, and the younger son points to those who are lost, but they've been found. The older son points to those who think they've been found, but actually they're lost. In fact, I, I heard this week for the first time, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. I don't know if it's a stretch or not, but take it. Some believe that this parable of the lost son is actually extrapolating on the first two parables, the parable of the sheep and the parable of the coin. The reason they say that is the parable of the lost sheep, you have one sheep that goes astray, the younger son. The parable of the lost coin, you have a coin that remains in the house, but it's lost. That's the older son who remained in the house of his father, but was lost all along. See, the point of this parable wasn't the two brothers' actions it wasn't how far gone the one is and how good the other one was. The point of the story is about recognizing the condition of their own hearts and the condition of the father's heart. Renee, you could come. The, the younger brother, even though he had done so much wrong, ultimately recognized he needed to repent and return to his father. The older brother had done everything right and he couldn't see his own need. And by the end of the story, Jesus has completely taken the focus off of their actions and placed it on their hearts. You know, you, your attitude towards God is often determined by how you perceive his attitude towards you. And if you perceive him as a slave driver who wants no relationship, then your life will reflect that. But if you perceive him as a loving father who embraces you, who, who kisses you and won't stop kissing you, who wants relationship and intimacy with you, your life will reflect that. If you recognize that the father's attitude towards you is love, 
forgiveness and grace. That's really the other point of this parable. It's a revelation of the heart of the Father. And the Pharisees and the tax collectors just couldn't wrap their mind around it. Why are you not throwing the law at their every mistake? And Jesus is... Jesus is introducing grace and truth. Can you guys stand this morning? Lord, this morning we we stand before you and for some of us, maybe we need to, to... Recognize what it is that you desire from us, God. Maybe we've been striving to please you, but avoiding relationship. This morning, I pray that we would recognize your desire for relationship. Lord, if those are uh, there are those in here this morning that feel undeserving of your grace, it's because we are. I pray you help us to receive it, to embrace it. And if we're in this place this morning and maybe we don't feel we need your grace, I pray that our eyes would be open to recognize that it's by your righteousness alone, God. I pray that your spirit speaks this morning. In Jesus' name. This morning, Lord, I pray that you help us to embrace grace. Help us to receive your grace and to walk in relationship with you. If we have a mess to clean up in our lives, I pray that we invite you in and we get there with you, Lord. This week, Lord, as, as many students return to school, I pray that there would be a revival in those classrooms. I pray over every teacher in this place and in this school district and in this nation, God, that you would give them wisdom, discernment, patience. I pray that they would be reflective of your love students that are that are heading back to, to the schools, I pray, Lord, that you would put a fire in their bones, Lord, to live for you and to spread your truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, if, if you uh, want to volunteer for the, the kids, there's a paper back in the back and out front. Uh, what they ask for is just one Sunday a month. If you can do that, uh, April and Darren would be super appreciative of it. Anything else? Oh, I do have another announcement. So if you guys go around town and you find all the right places, you will see a yard sign that says Cranberry Community Church and the Cranberry Mall. They're still out there. <laughs> so we got some new yard signs. If you want them, 
they're there. If you're not a yard sign person, we all have neighbors. So just stick it in their yard and walk away. Uh, Emily and I used to live next door to a church, and that kind of got us in a little bit of trouble. So if you're next to a church, don't do that. But we're going to just put some by the doors. If you want to grab one on your way out, they'll be there for you. So that's it. I almost forgot that. All right. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.